Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. Uh, yesterday, I did a uh, wedding out at the beach, Sunset Beach, and it was for a buddy of mine who I played volleyball with at USC. And if you look up, if you look up, like in the dictionary, the prototypical uh, college athlete, volleyball player, caught up in the scene. And so much so that has a hard time even functioning at practice and on game day because they're so caught up in the scene uh, at night before. Uh, it was this guy, but his life has changed so dramatically. He's now teaching high school and coaching, and he married this incredible woman, and it was a privilege to be out there and to be a part of New Beginnings. And, uh, and it didn't rain. You know, it was supposed to rain, and it didn't rain. Uh, it just reminded me that I am, I'm addicted to life change. It's, it's just what it's all about, seeing lives transformed. And Ryan yesterday was such an awesome picture of that. You need to know that people's lives are changing in our church all the time. And so we gather here on Sundays. We talk about how this is the God of hope who changes our lives. And we celebrate the fact that for so many of us, he's already doing something so amazing. And when we're seeing it or we're seeing it in the lives of our family and we're hearing stories and it's just, it just keeps on happening. It's so much fun. Random thought for you. <clears throat> Did you know that you do not want to win the lottery? <laughs> you don't. You think you do, but you do not actually want to win the lottery. Nine out of 10 people who win the lottery screw up their lives. Most of them end up with the same or less money just a few years later than they had before winning the lottery. But nine out of 10 screw up their lives in some kind of royal, massive way. It's just, it's just the reality. Uh, if you want to get depressed, read articles about lottery winners. You, you, will, you will find yourself slipping into a modest state of depression. I want to give you just a couple of glimpses. Uh, before they won $2.76 million in the lottery jackpot, Laura and Robert Griffith hardly ever argued. You see where this is going? <laughs> they bought a million-dollar house and a Porsche. But a few short years after their win, their 14-year marriage was over, and a freak fire gutted their house, and every penny of their fortune was gone. Story after story like that. I'm not kidding you. Here's another one. William, or Bud Post, won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery in 1988, but was $1 million in debt within a year. It's craziness. He says, I wish it never happened. It was a total nightmare. A former girlfriend successfully sued him for a share of his winnings. A former girlfriend somehow. His brother, get this, his brother was arrested for hiring a hitman to kill him in hopes he would inherit the money. Post lost the money in various family businesses and now lives quietly on $450 a month plus food stamps. Against all odds, in the mid-1980s, Adams, this woman, won the lottery twice. Once in 1985 and again in 1986, the New Jersey native won a cool $5.4 million between the two and gambled it all away in Atlantic City. Story 
after story after story. Nine out of 10 people wrecking their lives when they win the lottery. And you have been sitting here for the last five minutes thinking, I would be the exception. <laughs> right? Haven't you? Money just, it just, it can wreck us. It just gets a hold of us and can wreck us. And especially people that get it in a windfall like that and haven't been like trained and equipped over time by their parents or with coaching or things like that to handle it, they can't. And you would not be an exception. Uh, professional athletes, seven out of 10 professional athletes end up bankrupt. Did you know that? They, they aren't used to it. They get, this, they get this crazy money and they're around people that are just blowing it like crazy, doing all kinds of things, and they can't keep it. And most of them go bankrupt. It's crazy. Money is wild like that. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable for these next few minutes, uh, but it's going to be okay. It's just for a few minutes. Monica is going to come up in about 15 minutes and going to finish the, the message. We're doing this together. And God's going to do a powerful thing, and it's going to all make sense and be clear. But prepare yourself for a few moments to be just a little bit uncomfortable. Because when it comes to how we invest, not just our money, but our time and our talents, how we invest these things, we need to be a little bit uncomfortable and have a good look and think hard about where we are investing our lives. I have some good friends who are geniuses with money. Geniuses with money. I wish that I could manage money and do things with money that they do. They just seem to know what to invest in, know how to make stuff work. Their money just continues to grow. And they stuff. But some of these friends are obsessed with money. And it's as if money controls them. And they never seem to be satisfied with enough. And they never seem to be happy or free or let alone generous. They've become really good at making it making it grow a little bit, but it's almost like the more it grows, the more it holds them captive. I have other friends that are incredibly talented, and yet they're wasting their life playing video games or watching TV or just surfing and not doing anything else. You know these people. It drives you nuts, right? You're like, you are so talented. What are you doing? Wake up. Do something. People are wasting and they're investing in the wrong things. Jesus talks a lot about money and a lot about how we invest our time and our talents, not because he doesn't like it, not because he doesn't want you to have it, but just because he knows how stinking powerful it is. What you can do with it, what you can do with your time and your talent and your treasure, if you're intentional, the, the, the magnitude, that if you, that it can pay dividends over your lifetime, literally, that there's a compounding effect, that if you make smart investments with your time and your talents and your treasure, that it compounds over time and the impact expands and you can leverage your time, talent, and your treasure for good in a, in a broad way that impacts so many people. We're continuing in the series, The Pursuit of Happiness, and reading from the, the famous Sermon on the Mount. If you've missed some of the last messages, you can listen to them on, online or iTunes, but we're just, you're just catching us like right toward the end of this series now. And Jesus, right here in this moment, is talking about how you invest, how you invest. And here's what he says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, right? We all know that that's, that happens. We can't ultimately control all our things. Bad things happen to them. They can be taken away. Instead, store 
treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then here it is. Because wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. Everybody has seen hoarders, right? Even if you haven't seen hoarders, you know the premise. There are people, and they take TV cameras in, and there are people who live in just in unbelievable circumstances with boxes and things just stacked up like to head level and you're like shuffling sideways to walk down the paths in these homes and there's like cats that have been dead for months in the corners of these places and, and it's just, and, and no, one, no one goes over to the house. It's just crazy. Some of you are hoarders. I can feel it. There's a, there's a weight and an uncomfortableness. Some of us though are hoarders. And not just with stuff piling up in our houses. Some of us are hoarders in our bank accounts. Some of us are hoarders with our talents. Some of us are hoarders with our time. Some of us make everything that we have just about us and insulating us and building for us. How do you know? How do you know if you've kind of tipped over the scale into that arena in your heart? Well, consider what you spend the most time thinking about. What do you spend the most time thinking about? Maybe you think, well, I'm not obsessed, but I do wake up in the morning every day thinking, I got to get to that number. I got to get to that number. When I hit that number, then... Or maybe it's fame. I think about, if I can just get some notoriety, if I can just get some status and some position, if I, if I just get there and you, we, we think about it, we obsess, we... Maybe it's... Freedom from the man. If I just get financial independence, I don't have to work for this guy anymore. What is it that you're trying to protect, trying to preserve? Because the stuff that you have is good and you can use it, but what gets to a point where if you keep building it, the stuff will have you and you will become a slave to it. And it used to just be, wouldn't it be nice if we had this thing and we could do this thing? And now it's, oh man, we got all these things and we have insurance on them now and we haven't been to that one house in months and, we now, and your whole life is spent managing your stuff. And you no longer own your stuff. Your stuff owns you. And the Bible verse that we just read says, wherever you allocate your resources, that's where your heart is. Wherever you invest your best, that's where your heart is. That's really what you're all about, are those things. Wherever you put your time, your talent, your treasure, that's where your heart is. I know that men, most of us work eight to 10 hours a day, and that's not what I'm talking about. But there's a tipping point, right? When you get home and you're still on the phone the rest of the night, that might be the thing for you. That might be the main thing. Or if you just go and take your family to amusement parks and to movies and you never take them and show them what it looks like to serve other people that have less, you might be obsessed. You might just make amusement the focus, the goal, entertainment the focus and the goal. Or if you just play video games and watch TV and you're alone instead of investing in relationships, you might be a hoarder of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Look at this next verse. Timothy, 
First Timothy says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to put their trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Be rich. You are in the top 2% of the world's wealth. You are rich. You don't feel rich because you compare yourself to other people and how they look on Facebook and what you see on TV. And so none of us feel like we're really all that rich. We're always looking at the person that has more, but you are rich. You are in the top 2% financially. And we're not just talking about finances. We're talking about time and talents as well. You are rich. You are gifted. You are blessed. You are And the Bible says that there is a way that you can be rich, that you can own it, that you can embrace it, that you can be grateful for it, and and that you can use it for good. And so just, I'm going to power through these really fast because I want want you to see what God's going to do in the next few minutes when Monica gets up here. So I'm going to go fast, so hang with me. But here are a few things that the Bible says you can do to actually be rich and to act like it. The first thing is to trust God, not money. The verse we just read says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and to trust in their money, which is unreliable, but to to trust in God. Yeah, but I'm a planner. Good. Be a planner. Be a budgeter. Do that. Save. You should. Absolutely. And there's a gray area for some of us that we've stepped over from planning to controlling. And we just hold, and we just claim, or I'm practical. I'm just practical in how I think about money and evaluate these things. Good, be practical. Be conservative. But there's a gray area and a fine line, and some of us have stepped over into fearful. And we try to control, and we try to hold, and we try to claim. Trust God. Don't put your trust in money. It is unreliable. The next thing. Enjoy God's blessings. The verse we just read, God richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. If you're not able to enjoy what you have, you're missing the point. You shouldn't be wound so tight that you can't be grateful and enjoy and play a little bit. There's something to that. He wants to bless you and he wants you to know that he's blessing you and he wants you to be able to receive his blessings. That is part of being rich. That is part of recognizing that everything we have comes from him. Third, use money to do good. The verse said, tell them to use their money to do good. I have some friends and they give routinely to our church in an automatic kind of way through their bank account, but they also give spontaneously to other people randomly when they see a need. And they have an envelope And one of them has it with them all the time, and they put cash in the envelope just in case they see a need. And they have cash on them, and they're ready. They see the need. They meet the need. They give routinely to to our church, it happens to be, because they want to advance the mission and what God's doing here. And they give spontaneously because they want to be a blessing to people when they just brush up against them. And they didn't know that God was going to bring that person across their path in that given day. And they got to bless that person. Use your money. Don't let your money use you. Use your money 
to advance good, to show love, to be about something bigger than yourself. The next thing is act generously. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Generosity, my friends, is not buying Tom's shoes. <laughs> That's not generous. That's called responsible consumerism. That is not generosity. Generosity requires some sacrifice. And you could say, well, these aren't stylish. I'm just buying, I'm sacrificing my style. Not true. <laughs> not true. It's trendy. You can't use that on me. Generosity requires some sacrifice. And if you're someone who thinks, yeah, but I shop here and I just buy that and I wear Toms. Now I have the Tom's sunglasses. I'm doing good in the world. You're not really sacrificing. Generosity requires some kind of sacrifice. That's what it means to be rich. And then lastly, be ready to share. Always be ready to share with others. Now, this is convicting.